Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 9 of the Brain Train Podcast. I'm your co-conductor, Seth Showalter. And I'm your co-conductor, Zachary Galloway. And today, we are talking about communication. Communication. <laughs> it's a hard thing to do sometimes, because it takes it takes two to tango, at least two, sometimes more, to actually effectively communicate something. Mm-hmm. Uh, turns out shouting into the void does nothing. Indeed. Indeed. Maybe that's communicating with yourself, though. <laughs> true, true. Uh, I, I don't. We can talk about that a little bit later. <laughs> but I think one of the biggest things when it comes to communication is it's one of those things that is partially outside of your control. Mm-hmm. And so it makes, it makes things complicated, depending on the person you're talking to, how you effectively convey information changes from person to person. Mm-hmm. And while you have like something like a common language or a different sort of, I guess, auto-response kind mm-hmm. of questions you can ask people, communication really comes down to a dedicated want to hear and understand what the other person is trying to say. And that can be in low stakes and high stakes situations. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the interesting trends I see is the more margin for error, the tighter the communication rules end up being in given professions. So like, if you're an airline pilot, there's a lot more going on in terms of effective communication because any ineffective communication can lead to hundreds of people ending up in a crashed airplane. Mm-hmm. So. I, I think that it's kind of an interesting facet of the fact that communication can go very poorly and communication can go very well. And we only seem to notice when it goes very poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. But what, what would you say are some of the best ways to, in general, kind of communicate thoughts and ideas? I think something that I've been uh, learning more about recently by doing... <laughs> is asking questions. <clears throat> so uh, I, I have been watching the videos by Sean Evans on YouTube about, you know, hot ones. Yep. And he is known for asking very well-researched and and very personal questions in a way that the people that he is interviewing appreciate. And I think that there is a way, I think that ideally everyone should be asking those kinds of questions to everyone because it says, I value you and I want to learn more about you. And I think that it's, as I've been (laughs) attempting it over the last little while, it's, it's been more fun, you know, in the groups of people that I've been in, I feel like by prioritizing questions to ask, I I think that other people generally feel valued where I mean, we've all had plenty of conversations where you feel like you can't get a word in edgewise (laughs) Mm, (laughs) because everybody's got a lot of opinions and everybody is wanting to talk over everyone and everyone thinks that what they are saying is the most important thing. But I think as a general posture when, and, and this is just conversational communication, there's a lot of different things we could talk about here, but just in, in a conversation, I think that one of the things that has made a conversation more fun for me recently has been has been being a lot more intentional instead of thinking about what I'm going to say next or what I want to say or what I want to tell the other person. 
thinking about the questions that I can ask. And I think that there's a balance there too, because you do want to tell the other person things, you know, we, we don't know a lot about Sean Evans and <laughs> it's because his role is an interviewer, not the interviewee. Whereas when we're having a regular conversation with other people in our daily lives, we've got to play both roles. And so I think that it's important that we balance sharing good, true, authentic information about ourselves and thinking of good questions to ask. And I think that if you prioritize the questions to ask, then the responses and the things that you want to share will come naturally. Because from what I've found, when you ask good questions, people want to respond positively to that by asking you good questions in return. Yeah, I, I think that questions are a huge sort of aspect of the, this is how you learn information. This is how you begin to dig. Because I don't know about you, but I don't exactly sit around thinking of all the ways I want to explain my answers to questions. Mm -hmm. um, it's not exactly my most favorite thing to do, but I do enjoy answering people when they're curious about things. And so one of the things that I've found really, really helpful in terms of the question asking and answering department is recognizing that there is a, there's good questions and bad questions, and most of it comes down to phrasing. Hmm. Um, because a question at the end of the day is just probing at, this is a thing I'd like to know about you mm -hmm. or about this situation or about this thing. Um, and so depending on the person that will be received differently. And so it's important to understand a little bit of how that person communicates, which you learn through asking questions, mm -hmm. um, to, to better be able to, um, communicate what you're curious about so that you can tailor the, the sorts of questions and things you want to know based off of what you've already learned about them. Because I think if you can ask an intelligent question contextually based off of things they've already told you about how they communicate so that they can quickly and efficiently answer that question better than you used to be able to, mm -hmm. that is a huge sign of growth within that relationship because you not only are understanding each other better, but you're asking each other better questions. Mm -hmm. um, one of the more useful sort of examples in like conversational starting questions that mm -hmm. I've uh, had people sort of teach me is you want to talk about their family, what they do for work. You want to talk about what they do for fun and you want to talk about um, what they want to do. Mm -hmm. Those are the biggest things to really get to know the picture of a person quickly. Mm -hmm. um, now, I, people were teaching me that so I could market to them, and that isn't exactly what I use that for <laughs> most of the time. I use that because I genuinely just want to know more about people. But there, there's some real useful bits about that when you're meeting a new person of it shows a genuine interest in the person and wanting to know the facets of their life that are beyond surface level mm -hmm. uh, in, a, in a somewhat kind and friendly way. Mm -hmm. Because you're not trying to interrogate them going, so how's your family doing? Mm -hmm. But um, you're, you're trying to go like, hey, how you doing? Who are the people in your life? What does that look like? What do you do for work? Mm -hmm. what, what are the things that uh, make that an interesting thing? And beyond that, one of the things that's helped me is if I really want to get to know somebody, hearing what they do for work, doing a little bit of research into what that job kind of looks like. Mm-hmm. And then coming back so that I can ask more intelligent questions about their job and about what that looks like and how they do it. And basically talking about like, well, I heard this. So what do you think about that? And starting to really 
you not only get to quiz them on something they obviously already do, mm-hmm. but you also get to show that you <laughs> put thought into the thing that they do beyond hearing it. Mm-hmm. Um, which in, in many ways I think is an important sort of aspect of showing that you care about somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that can be for old relationships and new relationships. In either case, it's important to try and find some literacy in the world that they're in to, mm-hmm. to help make that connection. Mm-hmm. I think another piece, important piece to communication as well is um, admitting when you do not know something that another person is asking about. And this I'm thinking more in the communication that I've had to do for work. But where I work now, it's pretty common that I'll get a phone call and I'll have a client on the line that's asking a question about something that really I don't know (laughs) a whole lot about. Now, oftentimes, I'll have a good idea of where to start. I'll kind of know what they're referencing, uh, if they're willing to say it to me, <laughs> because I'm pretty green to my job at this point. And But there have, there have been some things that I have been learning. And so I got a call this last, um, I think it was Thursday or Friday, uh, but last week, and uh, the client was asking about how to retrieve a, a specific document that um, the advisor I work in financial advising had requested. And so I was able to pull up the email and look at what he had requested, and I didn't know how to find the thing either. But I have been talking a lot with insurance companies recently. <laughs> and so I've got a pretty good idea of the kinds of things that you need to do when you are requesting a document that somebody else has that has information that an advisor needs to see to be able to look at and then advise on. And so it felt like one of the most positive communication. I don't know about positive, if that's the right word, but it felt like a good communication. One of the best communications that I've had with work so far, because I started it out and I said, I'm going to preface this with, (laughs) I don't exactly, it, it wasn't, I don't know what this is. But um, I don't exactly know, you know, how to find this thing. Uh, and, and I think that I had worded it a little bit better for the context that that was in. <laughs> but beside that point, I preface that I don't know exactly what's going on here, but I've got some information that I think can help you. And if you call this company and ask for these specific things, they should be able to get you the document that the advisor needs to be able to help you out. And he thanked me for everything. It was had had a point to start with, mm-hmm. um, and it felt refreshing to me because in some in some circumstances that I've been in, I feel like I'm having to sort of pretend that I know more than I do, and it felt very refreshing to admit that I don't know a whole lot, but that there is a little bit that I might know that could get you started out, and that they found that helpful. Yeah, I, I do think it's important to admit when you're not sure about things, don't know, um, aren't aren't exactly confident in things mm-hmm. because you don't you, just despite what pride would tell you, you don't exactly want to present the image of a person who knows it all. Mm-hmm. Um, people don't really like know it alls, um, but you you do want to kind of show like, well, these are the things I do know about, and these are the things I don't know about, mm-hmm. um, because that helps inform the person you're talking to a little bit better the things they should and shouldn't be asking about Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, one of the big traps of know-it-all-ism, as I would call it, is that eventually you will run into an area you don't know a lot about. Um, for me, one of the kind of starkest examples I've had in my life is I am somewhat of a history buff, <laughs> but I do not know everything about every topic in history. <laughs> um, and specifically, I do know a lot about World War II. But I don't know a lot about certain theaters in World War II compared to others. Mm-hmm. And I don't know a lot about the political interactions of certain things compared to others. And so some we can both be talking World War II. And on the one hand, I'm immensely well-informed. And on the other hand, I sound like an absolute moron. And they're the same war. Mm-hmm. So it's that sort of thing where it's like, well, understanding what you do and don't know is sometimes half the battle. Because you can kind of end up with this label because you do know things, say say me, about World War II. And then people ask you something and you're like, well, I don't know about those things about mm-hmm. World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or even going further past into like the Thirty Years' War, Hundred Years' War, War of the Roses, all of that stuff. Like you, you can have ideas of it, but I think oftentimes people will assume you know more than you do. And so it's oftentimes up to you when there's maybe the beginning of a miscommunication or an overconfidence in your knowledge mm-hmm. to kind of communicate, I don't know a ton about this specific thing, but here's where I would start, similar to what you're talking about, if people are interested in that topic. Mm-hmm. Um, because I do have a little bit of an understanding as to where I got my information from, and so they might be able to go to the same place. Mm-hmm. Um and so I do think it's important to communicate, yeah, I, I don't know a ton about that. I'd love to look into it with you sort of stuff mm-hmm. because you also want to look for, in building relationships and building friendships, you want to look for joint sort of t- things you can do mm-hmm. together um, that, that help build that understanding of each other as well. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite things to do, and you can call me French, is <laughs> play tennis. All right, French. <laughs> All right, French. Um, that's kind of that's kind of a historical reference but um tennis and other sports like that really help you understand how a person acts and reacts to things quickly Mm -hmm. and also helps you get into this sort of mindset of coordinating with other people Mm -hmm. and that is immensely valuable because coordinating with other people is basically always going to be your job in some capacity Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what field you go into and how isolated it is you will likely have to coordinate with somebody else eventually. And so that would be the biggest sort of skill, I would say, in building relationships and communication is you need to be able to understand how coordination happens Mm -hmm. so that you can not only communicate at the proper times, but you can communicate the best things to communicate at the correct times. Mm -hmm. Because if you're a long-winded person and you're trying to, I don't know, play football and you're trying to explain exactly what you want your receiver to do for the ball so that you can pass it to them, you could spend 15 to 20 minutes in a huddle explaining in very good detail a route, or you can just draw a little line on your hand and go do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. that's that's a difference in communicative efficiency because um, mm-hmm. you've communicated the same thing but you've done one in a much faster and easier to understand way mm-hmm. by, by using different tools. So in thinking about conversations that you've had, well, let's, let's go with about history. Um, I know that we've all had conversations where it feels like, man, I'm interacting really well. I'm 
the other person is responding. I feel like this is like a life-giving experience versus conversations where you feel like you're walking on thin ice, Mm -hmm. not in the sense of, you know, this is terrible, but just like, this could be so much better, you know? Yeah. Uh, what do you think sets those or has set those two different kinds of conversations apart for you in your experience? Well, I, I think what, what draws the difference for me um, partially is a confidence thing. Um, I, I think the more confident you are in the things you're talking about generally, the better you'll think a conversation is going. Mm-hmm. Um, partially because you're more engaged. But in the in the conversations about history that have been more, I, I wouldn't say tense, but like less good mm-hmm. in whatever facet have mostly been either some sort of miscue in the topic we're talking about mm-hmm. so um taking world war ii as an example if i'm talking about um the russian front depending on who you talk to there's only one russian front mm-hmm. whereas there were two in the actual war mm-hmm. one just didn't really see much action so it's, well, you can understand what what I would be talking about when talking about, oh, this was the, the Russian front. The Russians were fighting on two fronts in the war. It's just one of those fronts um, had, you know, basically no one on it. And the mm-hmm. Russians weren't terribly interested in advancing because they were advancing the other one. Um, but depending on who you're talking to, if you if you're talking to somebody who knows a lot more about history and they're thinking you're talking about the Japanese one, where nothing is happening for long periods of time, and uh, and everybody else is thinking I'm talking about the German one, that has been one of the bigger sort of miscues with other like historically oriented people, mm-hmm. is not only is there these kind of weird gotcha moments, depending on like the type of person you're talking to, mm-hmm. where they'll kind of try to one-up you on their knowledge of history, over dumb stuff like that, where it's like, everyone knows I'm talking about the one that did things. Mm-hmm. You... I'm aware there was a Japanese one. You're aware there was a Japanese one. We don't have to... <laughs> we don't have to do this. It's easy enough to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in that, if I was confused about it, it's important to go like, okay, so we're talking about the Russian front. Which one? Are we talking about the Russian one or are we talking about the German one? Mm-hmm. I, I'm guessing you're talking about the German one because that's where all the stuff happened. But... <laughs> Maybe you aren't. And mm-hmm. so if I was legitimately confused about it, there's good and bad ways of presenting the potential for miscommunication. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's very easy when a miscommunication happens, even in a low-stakes environment, to get somewhat upset because in in the same way that uh, asking good questions and having a dynamic conversation shows interest, asking bad questions and having miscommunications in some way kind of indicates a loss in coordination mm-hmm. and a, and people can receive that as a disinterest. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's important to kind of clarify your position as you see it needs clarifying, but also to understand that when these sorts of things happen, if somebody is reacting somewhat belligerently, it may not necessarily be, be, be because they're a belligerent person, but because there's some sort of temporary unsettling nature to the misunderstanding Mm -hmm. and so keeping your cool at least and Mm -hmm. understanding okay this is a miscommunication this is what has happened here's how we clarify the position that we're in here's how we clarify what we're talking about in low and high stakes things is helpful because at least now you're not both angry Mm -hmm. Uh, because it's very easy to get angry when somebody doesn't understand what you're saying Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Do you have any conversational pet peeves? <laughs> well, so I like logic. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times, uh, this is just a peeve of mine, is people will jump from topic to topic very quickly. Mm-hmm. And people will jump from idea to idea very quickly within those topics. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes, I it, it's not that I like get upset about it or anything, but there are moments where I'm like, well, I kind of wish we'd talked like maybe just a little bit more about that thing we were talking about because mm-hmm. I still have more to say. And now we're talking about cheese. And there's <laughs> no way for me to tie this back into cheese. So I, I like cheese. We can now start talking about cheese. But I'm a little disappointed we didn't mm-hmm. finish the other thing. So that, that's, that's a peeve of mine. As well as when, um, when people start a conversation with me, like in a group, and, and as the conversation opens up, um, either the conversation drifts or, um, they, they immediately shift their focus to all the other people. And I'm like, okay, well, I, I didn't actually finish the thing though that I was mm-hmm. saying. And, and again, it's not a huge deal. It happens. It's how you communicate with groups, but it is that sort of thing of like, wait, wait a second. Mm-hmm. I, I still have things to finish. Um, and maybe that's partially because I can get long winded, but it's a peeve <laughs> of mine uh-huh. for sure. What are some of your peeves? Uh, my, my biggest one, (laughs) which is pretty common and uh, I've attended a couple different, uh, especially like young adult Bible studies Mm. and they're good. They're good experiences. Usually a lot of good hearted people there, but it is, it has been fairly common to ask a question in the group, in a group of people that is used to listening to long sermons, <laughs> ah. <laughs> which, you know, might have a little less, a little less connection to the thought that I'm trying to convey than it might, but then, then I think it might, but I think, I think there might be something to it because I think that people that are used to soaking in a sermon are, are typically pretty answers minded people. <laughs> I'm, you know, I think that listening to a sermon has its place, you know, soak up those ideas, think about it. But I think for the, for the, for the purpose of asking questions and talking about it. And I think that in some groups that is kind of frowned upon because it's like, oh, but they're talking about the Bible. Don't ask questions. It's like, (laughs) eh, no. (laughs) And so I think that one of the, one of the, one of the questions that always bugs me a little bit is when I ask a question and then the other person provides their answer and then says, does that help you? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, yo, I'm not looking for help. (laughs) I'm not looking for your three best tips to shut me up. I'm looking for a conversation. I'm looking for interaction. Ask me a question now, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think there's helpful and unhelpful things with that because I know at least for me, I I ask questions I know the answer to sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, especially in those types of discussions in Bible studies where it's like, well, I've already thought through this, I already know my answer <laughs> on it, but it was an important thing for me to think through, so it might be helpful for other people to think through, um, and so I'll sort of pose it that way, mm-hmm. and I do get similar responses, and I'm like, yo, I. 
I'm not the one who needs to answer the question. <laughs> Uh, who needs an answer to the question necessarily. I'm putting it out there as a topic to discuss. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a, another form of miscommunication. But also, I, I think it's this kind of, this more deep-seated thing sometimes with people where some people, and I'm not saying this is most people, but I do know that it's a thing, um, because uh, when I was younger and an idiot, um, <laughs> I, I tended to do this, which is I would value myself based on how good I thought my answers were. Mm. And because I wanted to feel helpful to the other person, I would assume they were asking for my help, even if it was more of a rhetorical question. Mm -hmm. And that can kind of get you stuck in that trap, mm -hmm. um, which is not good. So at, at the end of the day, I wouldn't necessarily take offense to somebody saying that to me now because I've been there. But it, it's it's that sort of thing of like, you don't necessarily have to prove your competency on a topic mm -hmm. because your ability to just plainly answer and explain the topic will prove your competency on the topic mm -hmm. it isn't a thing you have to set out to do mm -hmm. um, if you're actually competent at it if you're not you'll become more competent by realizing the things you don't know when people ask you questions about it mm -hmm. um, but yeah i'm i'm excited because communication is one of those things that you can talk forever about because there's so many nuances to the ways humans interact. Because you not only have words, you have body language, you have uh, tones of voice, all of that inform kind of the idea behind even the things you're saying. And so sometimes, and this might not be for everybody, but I know it's been for me a little bit, sometimes you can be feeling something about a completely separate situation and that tone of voice about that annoying thing comes through in a perfectly normal thing. Mm -hmm. And then somebody thinks that you're upset at them because you're just upset in general. <laughs> and that's one of kind of the classic miscommunications you see in like TV dramas where mm -hmm. it's like, how do we, you're, you can hear the writer kind of going, okay, how do we get this funny argument started? Mm -hmm. Okay, let's have this dumb, oh, let's have this dumb <laughs> thing happen. <laughs> And then let's add the character be mad about it. And then, once the character's mad about it, we'll take him completely out of that situation. And then we'll have this person ask them something completely unrelated, and they're going to be mad about that for no kind reason. Of, and it's of, funny. Kind of kind of, kind of, of like Will Smith at the Oscars. Maybe. <laughs> maybe kind of like Will Smith at the Oscars. Um, but that's a thing that happens in real life for legitimate reasons. And so how, how would you approach that kind of situation where you hear a tone of voice that isn't matching the situation that it's in, necessarily. Hmm. I think with questions, mm. but not not interrogation style questions. I think I want to hear you style questions because everybody wants to be heard. You know, even frustrated people, even people that are misunderstanding things, and. I heard a I, I watched a YouTube video on sales this last week about it was from Alex Hormozzi who has some interesting videos. I don't agree with all of them, but I love that he uh, provides actual steps and thoughts in what he's doing instead of just a bunch of good sounding jargon surrounding the topic, which is what I feel like a lot of people in that field do. Mm. But he talked about how he worked for a really really high dollar coat manufacturer and a lady came in and was just very very pissed off and so his boss like walks around the corner 
<laughs> he sees him out of her eye shot, roll his eyes, and then he snaps into character. <laughs> and she's she's frustrated, and he's like, who did this? We need to get to the bottom of this. We need to find the person who wronged you. <laughs> and just, like, totally matched her energy level. And then she's like, oh, well, it's really not that big of a deal, you know? And just starts backpedaling completely. And while that may be a bit of a uh, manipulative sales tactic, <laughs> yes, I think that there may be some learning that could be done in the way that we communicate because in a sense what he was doing was he was hearing her and that and that's what she felt you know and so i think that when when people approach us in frustration it's important to not dismiss it and that, that was his point in the whole video is that as soon as you say it's not a big deal you're you're not only downplaying what they're feeling but you're also not taking responsibility for your your company your product and even outside of the business context i think that it's important don't downplay what other people are feeling if somebody else is feeling something you validate it because they are feeling that regardless of why or whether it was because they're not being logical whatever the case is you know it's important to be truthful and to to see people to see people where they're at yeah i think it's important to understand where someone's coming from even if you don't necessarily agree exactly with yeah. with how they got there because there's just a, a ton of things and life's too short to get into the semantics of feelings like at the end of the day i'm not going to convince you that your feelings are unjustified um i even if you're feeling them and that's it's sort of its own thing but like i think a lot of my own feelings are unjustified <laughs> and, I, and i know it but what do, what what to do yeah what what do you do about about things you know you have no right to feel about something but kind of feel anyway uh -huh. um is is sort of that thing of like how do you manage when you basically know that your kind of emotional control is gone at this point mm -hmm. and how do you kind of set into your own habits and ideas a way of self-control or uh, at least uh, damage mitigation in those sort of moments where you you do get just go off the rails or get upset about things like because it does happen uh, even if it's not justified and even if it is there there's good and bad ways of dealing with a surge in emotions there's a good and bad ways of dealing with um, the actual things you feel about things because at the end of the day, the, the way you're feeling does affect the way you communicate with people. It does affect the way that you see people. And for better or for worse, your, your emotions tend to inform your opinion of a person more than the logic mm -hmm. of what, what, that, what that person is. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's super important to, to have a, an emotional understanding of yourself. So how would you go about starting yourself off on that track of understanding what to do with the things you feel which maybe that's a whole mm -hmm. other podcast <laughs> but um i think it's important to kind of dive into at least for like a minute or two mm -hmm. of like how do you set yourself up to at least control uh-huh uh, your emotions <laughs> yeah yeah good question good question i think that one of the things that 
I have found helpful recently is when I know that I am approaching an area where I am more susceptible <laughs> to uh, my own emotions, communicating with someone else. Because they are not, anyone else is not nearly as tied to the situation as you are. Now, I also think that it's important to be careful about selecting the people that you share those kinds of things with because you it can go both ways. Either you don't share anything at all or you overshare your thoughts regarding your own emotions and uh, kind of search for meaning in that, which I don't think that's a very good response either. But when you open up and share your thoughts and how you think you're going to respond and you, you, yeah, your, your mindset in a certain area with someone else who cares about you, who wants to see you succeed, but who is not you, I think that that provides a lot of stability. Because if you've got a method for how you're going to approach the situation and you say, hey, how's this? What do you think? And if they see a lot of issues with it, they can generally, generally, they've got a, a different perspective than you do. You know, yeah. that, that's all I'm trying to say. <laughs> there, I'm getting a little bit long-winded there, but that's, yeah. that's, that's it. <laughs> well, it's, I think it's also important just in communication to understand that they do have a different perspective than you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in some way, even if they're doing something you think is horribly incorrect in serious situations, or you think they have wildly been misinformed, they in some way think they're right. Mm -hmm. And they in some way think they're justified in having the opinion that they have, regardless of how true or false you think it is. And so it's important to always sort of approach those kinds of conversations with the understanding that even though I may not agree with this person about this thing, mm -hmm. um, they have a way in which they believe they are correct. Mm -hmm. And I don't need to invalidate that. Right. I can present things that may show that they are not. But at the end of the day, you don't want to put an emotional attack to a fact. Mm -hmm. Because not only does it do nothing to the fact, because the fact will stay a fact... Right. But also, it all it really accomplishes is upsetting the other person and making it feel like you don't care about mm -hmm. them. Right. Um, and and there are, like, any, any time that you would need the input of someone else in a highly emotional, emotionally susceptible spot, you know, I can recognize when I am about to turn into two weeks' notice at work that I feel slightly resentful about certain situations that have happened but then in approaching a mentor or someone else and going hey i have an interest in doing this right this is what i want to do these are the feelings that i feel <laughs> this is what i'm thinking about doing what do you think about that and being open to feedback i think that's a very important thing i think when thinking about the way that you want to confess feelings <laughs> you know like that can be a very emotional thing as well. And having some people around you that you value their input on and that are able to see things a little bit differently than you. And it might not, people always talk about who's able to see things better. It's not about who's able to see things better. It's who's able to see things differently that you might not see because that's really important stuff. But I think, you know, I know that I feel certain ways and in, in one, on one or two hands, I know that some of the feelings that I have are not justified, and there's really not much that I feel like I can do about that. But what you can do is research your response through yeah. the input of other people and through thinking about the circumstance. And I think that that 
I think that that leads to a <laughs> much more well and a, a, a better response. I think that leads to a better response. I think it does. Well, thank you very much for joining us on episode nine. 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 Uh, of the Brain Train podcast. I have been your co-conductor, Zachary Galloway. And I have been your co-conductor, Seth Schulter. And we thank you very much for listening to us. We will see you in the next episode. Peace. Peace.